Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read verse 1 down through verse 11. If you follow along here, the Bible says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, Thus any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, once again, we're just so grateful and so humbled to be able to gather into this house, Lord, that you've given us a place to come and worship, Lord, in a common bond in Jesus Christ. And we we pray tonight, Lord, for the lost around us, the lost in this world, that, Lord, they've heard the gospel, they've they've, uh, maybe even considered the gospel, but they've chosen not to repent and to believe in what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. And Lord, we know this passage is dealing with a lot of that here tonight as well. And we just pray for someone here in earshot that's not been saved. Father, you get a hold of them through the Spirit of God. and They, they can see just the, the dire straits that they're in tonight, the great need that they have before you. Lord, we just pray they be saved before it's too late. We just thank you, the Father, for the Word of God and the people of God, the house of God, all these great things you've given to us, Lord, to support us in our walk with you on this earth. And we're so thankful for the fellowship of the children of God tonight as well. Lord, we're thankful for this church and the stand it's taken for so many years. We pray you continue to use her to win souls and, and Lord, see men to surrender to the ministry and men surrender to the mission field and Churches started all around the globe. Father, help us to keep that vision in front of us. Let us never forget what you've saved us to do, and that is to serve. We pray you bless this time tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Man. Oh, broken sweat praying. That heat for up here is unbelievable. Too hot, too cold. You walk inside, it's too hot. Outside, it's too cold. It's interesting here in the book of Hebrews that there are no references to Gentiles in the book of Hebrews. You find that amazing, huh? Because it's the book of Hebrews. The problem of Gentile and Jew together in the church is not here, indicating that this little congregation to which the writer is writing to is strictly Jewish because they didn't have any Gentile conflict. And to this persecuted, suffering group of Jewish believers and unbelievers, He writes to reveal the merits of Jesus Christ and the new covenant as opposed to the old covenant. There's a great battle going on here in these people's lives because of the way 
they were raised because of their custom, because of the history of the Jewish people. This was not something easily overcome in their lives. Now, I don't know the exact location where this was located, somewhere in Greece maybe. We do know that this Jewish community had been evangelized by the apostles and the prophets. The word of God had been preached there and Jews had been saved. This church had been started. And it's evident that that was fairly early after Christ had lived and died and risen again. And by the time the letter to the Hebrews is written, there already exists a little group, a little congregation of believers here of the Lord. And included in the same view of the letter are unbelievers who evidently are also part of this particular community that this letter addresses. Now, unlike Jerusalem Jews or Galilee Jews, they had never met Jesus. We don't have any indication that they knew Jesus Christ personally, but everything they knew about him, they got secondhand. They really didn't even have any New Testament writings because nothing had really been put together yet. You know, we're fortunate that we have a completed Bible in front of us, and we don't take advantage of that the way we ought to. A lot of people would have loved to have the written word of God in front of them when these things were taking place in their own lives. But, you know, and so whatever they knew, they knew directly from the mouth of the apostles and the prophets. And, and they're kind of second generation Christians, if you will, as a result of these apostolic missionaries. Now, here, here's the very critical basis for understanding the book of Hebrews is this is where things get all messed up, especially interpreting part of the book of Hebrew. You have to understand there were three different types of people that are being viewed throughout this epistle. <clears throat> three basic types. And if you don't understand the three basic types of people, it gets confusing. It, if, for example, as some people said, it was written to all Christians and the, the entire book had to have been written to Christians, and some of this would make no sense. But that can't be the case you got a monstrous problem because <clears throat> it's not written to unbelievers because it talks about believers too much. So when you <clears throat> read a lot of the stuff out of the book of Hebrews, a lot of people take a lot of these things out of context because they don't understand what's being preached here to these people to begin with. And there are evidently these different types here to which the writer of the epistle is trying to get across to. No different than if you sit in a church like this Really, lots of preachers come here to visit. I mean, I'm, I'm born, uh, you know, out of this group, have been sent out of this group. I know a lot of you, so I know a lot about you. But if I didn't, I wouldn't assume anything. I would assume there's lost people here, there's saved people here, there might be Jewish people here, or Catholic people here, or Mormon people here. Who knows who's here? So when you try to reach the group, you don't assume anything particular. And that's what the writer did here. Group number one was the Hebrew Christian. So a Jewish person that had repented of their sins and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's this uh, legitimate congregation of true believers in Jesus Christ that had come out of Judaism. They'd been founded and raised in it, but now they were born again, and they had to come out of some of those things. And there's a real struggle in that, isn't there? Listen, when I got saved, it didn't completely remove me from all the struggles, did it? No, no, there's lots of struggles that come. You know, <laughs> it's interesting. It's crazy, really, because I was coming to this church. I was actually a member of this church, still chewing tobacco before I gave it up. And no one knew about that. You do now. <laughs> but 
One, one day going to Valdez, I came under conviction. I quit chewing tobacco and never chewed again. But there are things in my life when I got saved that were still there that are still a struggle, aren't they? So that's a little struggling church of Jewish, Jewish believers. The law. They had been handed down all of these things throughout the ages that, that they just, it was hard to let go of those things that they did all the time. The sacrifices and the, the things they did over and over and over in repetition, right? So focus on that a little bit. They had been saved. They are followers of Jesus Christ. And the natural result, if you know anything about the Jewish community, is hostility. Right? Listen, you don't just get saved to go home to your Jewish dad and go, I got saved, dad. Let, listen, some of those guys get the book out, the book of the history of the family, and they go through there. There it is, Ron Lambert, and you, you're scratched out of the book of the history of that Jewish family. It's not like in America where they go, ah, you'll get over it or whatever. No, that's a big deal, isn't it? So understand that they were being ostracized from their families, persecuted, they're suffering. Though we don't have any record of them dying here particularly, it points out that they suffered greatly. <clears throat> they were in danger of going back into patterns of Judaism. The danger was it was easier just to fit back in and do the same old thing than to do this thing that God commands me to do. Is this starting to sound familiar? Because <laughs> when I got saved, you know, and then later we came out, we joined this church, and I was doing the flight deal, and I was missing a lot of church, and I remember one time Brother Humphrey pulled me aside, and he goes, you know, sheep that don't eat, they die. I was like, okay, feed your sheep, man. <laughs> What's that got to do with me? <laughs> and then later it sunk in. <laughs> It'd been easier if he had just said, hey, chucklehead, get to church. <laughs> Didn't grasp some of those wise sayings back then. <laughs> but I didn't forget them. It's hard to change sometimes, though. When you're not used to going to church on Sundays, it can become a drag, really, if your heart's not in it. You go, man, it's just easier to do what I was doing. Well, that's how some of these people feel, felt. They couldn't make a clear-cut break between the New Testament and the New Covenant in Christ and all the forms of ceremonies and patterns and methods of the old life. So the Holy Spirit directs this letter to them to strengthen their faith in the New Covenant to show them that they didn't need the old ways, the old temple, and the old Levitical priesthood to be right with God. They were free from all that nonsense in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> That's group number one. Group number two is Hebrew non-Christians who are intellectually convinced, you know the kind? They're, they're looking, and they're waiting, and they've got all the information, and they have the material, but they've never been saved. But they believe they need to be saved. They believe that there is a Messiah. They believe a Messiah is coming to save them. They just haven't done that yet. They're those people that come and come and come and come and come to church, and they never get saved. Hebrew non-believers, here it would be Gentile non-believers, amen? That's the, the second group. They don't want to commit themselves. You've met people like that, I'm sure you have. They hear the truth, they even believe it. But they're, they're intellectually convinced that Jesus is who he claimed to be, but they're not willing to make that commitment to what is right in Jesus Christ. When I was here, I did Bible studies 
with, with a man, Arthur Tugood, for almost a year. Every Monday night, I work the food bank. I bring food back. Gary Baumgartner worked with the guy. He brought him over, and we gave his family food. He was Jehovah Witness. And almost without fail, every Monday evening for a year, we had Bible studies in my little office out there. And I remember one when he first showed up, he had this big box of books for the Bible study. All these books, Jehovah Witness, all this stuff. I said, man, I feel like guns. All I got is my Bible, you know. And uh, so we went into it. A year later, I remember Arthur in his chair at the other end of my table, and he rocked back and he said, you're absolutely right. What you've been telling me is absolutely right. And at that point, I said, Arthur, you need to get saved, and you need to leave your, leave your family to the Lord before they die and go to hell. And he said, I just can't do that. And I said, well, how come? Because my mother and the family would disown us. And I said, so you'd rather die and see your children go to hell than your mother disown you. He goes, it's just a tough deal. And I said, it's not that tough, Arthur. All you need to do is repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that work system of the Jehovah Witnesses is such, in his particular case, he was not willing to turn loose to be saved in the sight of God. We left to go to the Mule Chicken almost every time we came back to visit. I'd run into Home, Home Depot, Safeway. Everywhere I went, I ran into Arthur Tugood. Needed to say, there's Arthur. Hey, Arthur, you know. <clears throat> well, there's those kind of people out there. They've got, they've got it all. They have the information. And they know the truth, but they will not commit. The third group of people in view of the book here are the Hebrew non-Christians who weren't convinced. In this letter, the Holy Spirit desires to speak to the Christian Jews to strengthen their faith, but he's also trying to speak to the intellectually convinced Jew and push them over the line to faith. And I believe the Spirit of God also wants to speak to people who have yet to believe at all, who aren't convinced of anything, and give them enough information to show them that Jesus is, in fact, who he claimed to be. That's what the book is trying to do. <clears throat> Why do you say all that, brother? Well, I'm telling you, when we read the Bible, it's important because it's information that we need to draw closer to God. God says, look, here's the things that from the beginning to the end, this is all we have right here. Because if I wrote many more books, I'd blow your mind. So learn this one. It helps me understand the people I have to deal with. I listen to the things that people say. I hang on to terminology so I know what's going on with that particular person. There's different groups of people, right? When somebody says, oh, brother, I'm a born-again believer God, then I listen and watch what they say. Does what he say and what he does match with what the Bible teaches, right? You can't just listen. You can't just be that, that ignorant Christian running around believing that everybody who says they're saved is saved. There ought to be fruits of the Spirit. There ought to be fruits of salvation in their life. There ought to be something that separates the sheep from the goats, right? There should be something there. The, belief, the, the, the Spirit of God through the book of Hebrews is trying to push these people over the hump. That they might be saved. So that their faith might be strengthened. They wouldn't have to continue on with all this ritual that they had throughout their life. And so... When you get to chapter 4, it continues the warning to these informed but very unresponsive Jews that began in chapter 3. 
<clears throat> that reminds me of people in church. They're here, and they have the information, but they will not respond. They know what God desires in their heart, but they won't respond to those things. I don't know the reason for that. Sometimes I don't understand the reason. That's between you and God. I don't get it. I know what God has done in my life by doing what God wants for me to do in my life and the blessings that come with that. And let me tell you, that's a road that's a lot easier traveled than the road where you're going against God, bucking and kicking, and dragging all that weight that goes with it. That weight that so easily besets us. So when you get here, these Jews that not only knew the basic truths of the gospel, and, but, but they had even renounced Judaism, but they still didn't trust Christ. They're stuck in between. So you've got the ones that have trusted Christ, the ones that haven't trusted Christ, the ones in the middle that say, well, I know Judaism is not right, but I haven't really done what I need to do on this side too. We see lots of people in our churches just like that. And they come and they come and they come and they come. And they never make a decision. They think that God is going to be okay with them waffling all their life. That it'll be okay for them to ride the fence all their life. Let me tell you what happens when you ride the fence. You get calloused. Calluses begin. That's not where you want to live your life. You need to be on one side of the fence or the other side of the fence, but not the middle of the fence. But this warning here applies to anyone who is hesitating to commit themselves fully to Jesus Christ. And it can be summarized over here in chapter 3 and verse 8. He says in chapter 3, verse 8, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, they do only err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. What ways? Well, he gets to that in chapter 4, doesn't he? Here's the problem. The Israelites had left Egypt, but they longed to go back to slavery. They longed for... <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I'm not real proud to tell you this, but I wake up sometimes in a panic, in a sweat, because I was dreaming that I was chewing tobacco. I quit chewing tobacco in 1996. And I, I'm dreaming they're going to find out. I wake up and I'm in a panic. You know, it's not real. It's not real. She's here. <laughs> We're good. But that, that part of me from back then is still somewhere there, isn't it? There's a battle that's going on because I don't go to bed going, man, I wish I had some chewing tobacco. Really, when I smell that stuff, I just about erp. I can't already take the smell of it anymore because it's repulsive now. Then it was, oh, boy, who, who's got that, you know? And now it's repulsive to me. And so to dream about that subconsciously, you're just kind of drifting back toward that thing. That shows me the power of the devil, the power of the mind, and when the Bible says that there's a battle between the spirit and the flesh, buddy, it's real. It's very real. This is what they were feeling. This, this battle. They, they said, this is hard following after Jesus Christ. It's so much easier just to go back to the old ways. But the old ways have nothing but death. The old life appealed to them, but there was nothing but no good and death there. That's all that was there. 
So they halted at the crucial point of decision, and consequently they weren't allowed to enter in the promised land and into God's rest. There's a flip side to this. Unbelief forfeits God's rest. And that's what he's saying here in chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews. We'll get to a couple of these quickly. You know it's kind of crazy, but I found my watch. I had it the whole time. It was hidden in the garment bag. It doesn't really mean nothing. <laughs> I, just, I, I wanted you to know that I found it. I missed it. So what is the meaning of rest? Well, the English word rest and the Greek word rest that it translates from have similar meanings. The basic idea is that you cease from work or from any kind of action. You stop what you're doing. You, that's real rest is when you quit what you're doing. We talked about distraction, didn't we? You're never really resting if the distraction is laying there beeping all night. That's not real rest. You know the best rest I get is when I'm out camping with my wife somewhere, right, and we're down by the river, and the river's bubbling, and I go in there, and it's cool, and I got the windows open, and you hear the outdoors, and there's nothing. And, man, I sleep like a dead grizzly bear. I mean, I wake up sometimes like, whoa, what happened? Because I finally get real rest. And you wake up and you're kind of even a little uh, pop in your step, you know. You're that irritable dude in the morning to everybody else. <laughs> you didn't get that? I got that. Come on. I had a guy at the conference. He's like, you know, Brother Ron, I really don't like to talk to you until I've had coffee. And I went, I can see how irritating I could be. <laughs> I was like, cheer up. <laughs> it's like. Oh, but your action, your labor, your exertion is over. So as it applies to God's rest, it means no more self-effort as far as salvation is concerned. There's nothing you can do to save you. If you're going to enter into God's rest, you've got to do it God's way. Repent and believe. Those works all get left at the door. Amen. No more works. This is God's rest, not yours. This is what God has designed. It also means freedom from whatever worries disturb you. We live in a very, very worrisome society. We live in a very depressed society. When I watch the news, watch TV, I don't watch much news, I watch TV, you know how many anti-depression medications come on in the evening in a couple hours' time? Listen, it's not just that. It's, hey, this medication will boost that medication. So if that antidepressant doesn't work enough, take this and it'll boost that antidepressant medication and, and you'll feel better. And the lady's walking around with a smiley face, you know. It's like, and it says, is your depression medication not working? Then take Rexulti and then, <laughs> you know, you walk around the buzz all day. I don't know what it does to you. I've never taken it. I don't know. I'm pretty happy as it is. Right? And people get more depressed because they hang around me. They're like, what's up with that guy? Well, I just love life. Listen, God's rest brings that in your life. It gets rid of the worries. It gets rid of those headaches because they're God's headaches. It's God's problem. When God called me to preach and God called me to witness and God called me to do all these things, they're God's problems. I just have to be obedient Brother Humphrey was, had mentioned to me today about being in, in the yoke with the Lord. It's not, it's not, listen, folks, the Lord's not trying to yoke you into something and make you pull like a draft mule. 
He's doing the pulling, and he says, get in. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Go work with me. Just get right in here. And listen, the closer you are to the Lord in your day and in your walk and in your work, you'll find it more peaceable. You'll find it more restful. Worry, we serve the God of all creation. The God that does all the miracles from Genesis to Revelation. So what is it he can't do? Well, listen, when we're on God's team, on God's side, God brings a peace and a rest. He's trying to tell these Hebrew children that are struggling between, I've been saved and out of, out of Judaism. That they're, that you see, there's this big monstrous struggle going on. He's like, quit the struggle. I'll give you the freedom. You know, some people can't rest mentally or emotionally because they're so easily annoyed and angered and distracted. There are people that just go off, boom, like a rocket. They can't meter anything about their spirit. They can't control it. And they'll tell you, I've just never been able to control my anger. Well, there's probably a bigger problem there, isn't there? I used to be a pretty angry guy until I got saved. Now I'm kind of a weepy guy. Things changed a little bit when God got a hold of me. You don't, listen, you don't have to take a baseball bat with you everywhere you go. Let God do the fighting and the battles. Let God do the pulling. Let God do the plowing and the work. Really, we just get to reap the benefits of what God's already done for us. But you got to get involved. you got to get in the harness with God. And God says, you do that, I'll give you rest. You go, that doesn't make sense. Go to work and get rest. That's what it says. God wants to give us rest. God doesn't want us living with such disturbed minds and worries where every little thing upsets us and we always feel hassled and on edge. That's the world we live in, though. Oh, look, <clears throat> Anita and I last winter started watching this thing. It's, there was this TV show called The First 48, and I, I didn't know what it was about, but it's about murder. And they follow it, people getting killed. And you know what I realized? They'll kill you for nothing. They'll kill you because they're irritated. They'll kill you because you parked where they always park. People are crazy out there. You know, so what's that do to us? Sometimes that gives us a spirit of like, well, don't go there because that's a bad deal. That's not the spirit God wants us to live with. God wants us to have a peace about us that passes all understanding in our day. Listen, the people with the worries and the pain and the hurt, they want to look to you for help. How can you help them as a Christian when you're just like them? Your hair triggered. No one can talk to you. Everybody's afraid to say anything because you'll fly off the handle. There's something wrong there. That's not God's rest. God specifically said when you get saved, you enter into God's rest. His kind of rest, not yours. Rest doesn't mean freedom from every problem and hassle. It just means we have freedom from being so easily beset by them. God has given us a way out. It means to be free from the guilt of sin and even the unnecessary feelings of all that stuff we carry with us every day that make us useless in the service of the king. Because we're busy dealing with that instead of doing what we should be doing. And our minds and our hearts are not where they need to be. Rest can also mean just to lie down, be settled, be fixed, be secure. You know, there, there's no more shifting about in frustration from one thing to another. No more running in circles. 
Because we're forever established in Jesus Christ. And listen, you've got to get that through your head at some point. We belong to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ isn't hidden somewhere and doesn't know what we're doing every day. We are in Christ. We are, listen, that is forever settled in eternity. Why do we worry about little things when we serve a God that created all things? God can take care of your messed up order at Starbucks. <laughs> you know what, the stuff we worry about and we waste time on, petty things, money. Listen, I know people, man, if they get jilted on money, they're going to move heaven and earth, get that 45 cents back. It's not worth it. You know what? God will, God will give you 10 bucks later. Just let it be. Just go about God's work and maintain your witness and your testimony. Don't get her blowing up at the pizza guy for 10 bucks. Right? But that's how people are. They're spring-loaded. Christians shouldn't be spring-loaded. No, we should be a little more, hey, let's take time and see what's really going on in this person's life. Because they obviously don't have God's rest. They're living in the world, and they've got worldliness, but they don't know God's rest like the Bible teaches. We're free from being tossed around by every wind of doctrine, every idea, every new fad that blows our way. And I'm thankful for that. I, listen, you, you might not be thankful for that, but I remember my mama putting bell-bottom jeans on me and sending me to school. I've seen the pictures. You know how stupid I looked back then? Because everybody else was doing it. Well, listen, bell-bottoms come back, I'm not wearing them. I'm free. <laughs> I'll show up in my waders. But that's the Christian kind of rest that God's given us. We don't have to go the way of the world in every fad and every trend, do we? Just because everybody else reads their Bible on their cell phone doesn't mean you have to. We don't have to follow the world trends. But we do. We tend to do that, don't we? Because we want to fit in. I'm guilt. We're guilty, aren't we? You say, I'm not guilty. Sure you are. You see a Sonic commercial, run out and get the new bacon cheese tater tots because there's an advertisement. You never had them in your life before and you're fine, but now you have to have them. You're going with the flow like everybody else, right? We're all guilty of that. Just look at how Jordan dressed. You know that's how it is. <laughs> I love picking on men. Rest involves remaining confident and keeping trust in Jesus Christ. In other words, to rest in something or someone means to maintain our confidence in it or him. That I can walk every day in confidence that Jesus Christ has my back. You ever see guys walking around that says, I got your six? That's kind of a military term, you know. It's 12 o'clock, 6 o'clock, you know, I got your back. Listen, we're saved when we become a child of the king. God has my back. God knows what's going on. Rest in him, inner God's rest, means to enjoy the perfect, unshakable confidence of the salvation that Jesus Christ has given me. <clears throat> a lot of people struggle with their salvation. I've seen it. Some of you have probably dealt with it with other people, multiple professions. They, they don't know if they're saved, don't know if they're lost. Listen, I'm telling you, I am blessed because I've never had that in my life. I know when God saved me. I know how God saved me. And I remember the day I entered into God's rest. And I am thankful for that. Praise God for God's rest in salvation. That I don't have to wake up every morning hoping I'm good. Hoping I did enough. 
Rest also means to lean on. To enter into God's rest means that for the remainder of our lives and for all of eternity, we can lean on God for rest. No matter where we're at, any time of day or night, we can lean on God. He's right there. You hear people say, oh, I'm searching for God. God's not lost. If you are saved, God's right there. The Bible says he'll never leave me nor forsake me. So if God is somewhere else, there's something amiss in my Bible, isn't there? God is very present in time of help. And we can be sure that God will never fail to support us. <clears throat> Isn't it interesting that, uh, you know, when you have husband and wife, a lot of times you'll see the wife leaning over, resting on the husband. Why is that? Have you ever done a doctrinal study of that? I just kind of figure it's because I'm bigger than her and she feels safer leaning against me. And she knows that everybody knows I'm kind of psycho anyway. I'm just going to leave her alone if she's with me. <laughs> right? That's really the deal. And when we learn to lean on God like that, and people go, look, that guy, that woman, that kid walks with God. Go mess with someone else. There's a peace that comes with knowing that God is right here no matter what's going on. That fear, it can be done away with. That worry, it can be done away with. All those things that distract the mind from the things of God can be done away with when we're leaning on God. And rest means just to lean on Him. <clears throat> you know, look with me in John 13 and 23. Don't we have an example of that? Doesn't that take a place here in John 13? John 13 And verse 23, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Do you suppose that, that disciple felt as bad as safe and as comforted as he ever had leaning on the Lord Jesus Christ right there? The creator of all things, the power of all things, the authority of all things. Now see, that disciple learned that, and we, that's something we have to learn. But we don't. Listen, I'm just speaking it for me. It, from a man perspective, I'm a fixer. I've always been a fixer. I'm mechanical-minded. I'm not like Doug. I fix stuff. I weld stuff. I mean, it's broke. I can fix it. I look at something and go, hey, some idiot built that. I can fix it. <laughs> you know what God does? He looks down at you and he says, I built it and that idiot's trying to fix it. It, and, it, and it's not going to get fixed because God says it's not happening. You got to stop, quit. You got to learn to trust in me and lean on my rest. Let me take care of it. I did this. It's not yours to mess with. There's certain things that God set in motion that's not for us to mess with. We don't change salvation, we just preach salvation. We don't change baptism, we just. Right? We follow after the commands of baptism. There's some things we don't change and mess with. They don't need fixed. God set them in eternity. It's done and settled. Don't mess with God's word. It doesn't need fixed. It's fine and dandy. <clears throat> the rest spoken of in Hebrews 3 and 4 includes all these meanings. But it's a full, it's a blessed, it's sweet, it's satisfying, complete, peaceful rest. <clears throat> And that's not what I got last night. 
It was, many of you guys ever flip and flop just because? You ever sleep four or five nights and oh, it's just really good, then one night you just flip and flop and there's no particular reason? Right? Everybody goes, oh, I know those. Well, I think as Christians, we have too many days like that because <clears throat> we're not leaning and resting in the Lord the way we should. We're out there doing our thing and causing trouble, and we cause, we, we, we bring up in our own strength, we stir the mire and the muck and the mud, and then we try to figure out why we're in such a dark soup. Instead of just stop and saying, Lord, take care of this. I need the rest. <clears throat> Look at the availability of the rest. In Hebrews chapter 4, if you go, <clears throat> go back here to verse 1, it says, Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest any of you should seem to come short of it. Therefore refers to Israel's unbelief and consequent failure to enter God's Canaan rest. So it's just an illustration. It's illustrated by her experience not trusting in God as something to be feared. Oh, it's just God. You know, it's God. He, he's uh, <clears throat> he just doing his thing again, but it wasn't revered and it wasn't feared. And that's really what people have done here on earth. Oh, creation, that's nothing. It's evolution. Don't worry about creation stuff. That's kind of the attitude of what's going on here. Some people may even acknowledge it, but go, oh, well, don't worry about it. There's nothing to fear there. I'm, uh, I'm preaching a message uh, this week, Sunday, on the wrath of God. You know, we tend to forget the wrath of God. Right? God desires for us to have rest, but you know what the opposite of rest is? Wrath. Listen, it's rest or it's wrath. When you live in disobedience long enough, God finally comes in and says, that's enough. And just look through the Bible at some of the wrath of God. Sodom and Gomorrah is a fine example, isn't it? Those Egyptians in the middle of that Red Sea, that's a good example. The list goes on and on and on of God's wrath. But it's right here. God has the power to give us rest or he can bring wrath. If God's not believed, that he is the one and the only one that can save you, <clears throat> you ought to fear something in your life. It ought to bring you to shaking in your boots when you think about God and the wrath of God and you shaking your fist and telling God, I don't need saved, I don't need your son. But there's a lot of people like that on the earth. They don't care. They don't get it. The Christian has no need to fear in that sense of what's meant here. Look what it says in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse 30. Here's what we need to worry about. It says, For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth ye have need of these things, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know what? People run around chasing everything but the things of the kingdom of God. We need to focus more on the things of God and the kingdom of God. And we touched on that quite a bit last night. <clears throat> Having the right <clears throat> focus. The only kind of fear we have to worry about, though, is that kind of fear that includes reverential awe of God. You know, when you look over here in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 17, the Bible says... Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And it's interesting because the word fear here comes from the Greek word 
Phoboeo. That is the word we get phobia from. You know what a phobia means, right? Well, <clears throat> there's a phobia, a fear, a, an awe of God. And when that's developed in our lives, we don't have to fear God. We walk in awe of who God is. We can walk in awe leaning on God, knowing he's there to take care of all these things. But those people in the world that don't know God, don't walk with God, and lean on God, they have every reason in the world to fear God and the wrath of God because it's coming. Most of you have probably read your Bibles. I hope you have. You get the book of Revelation. I'm telling you what, I've been studying through Revelation and preaching through Revelation, and it's disturbing. The things that are coming, and you've been warned, and warned, and warned, and the wrath of God is coming to the point where men can't die. I don't even know how you describe that. we got people dying around us all the time. People committing suicide, 22 veterans a day killing themselves. But there comes a point in time where you pull the trigger and nothing happens. You can't die. You're under the wrath of God and you can't even control your death. <clears throat> I think I'd want to be saved now. I don't think I'd want to wait until the rapture. And, and then here comes the tribulation and then the great tribulation. Why would you want that when you could have God's wrath? You don't have to walk in fear. <clears throat> the writer's urging them, pleading with them to be afraid of what they're doing and what they're facing. As long as a promise remains, there's an opportunity to be saved. That man hanging on the cross next to Jesus Christ, that thief, that guy waited kind of late in the game to get saved, but he got saved. It's not too late until you take that last breath. Then it's over. There's no more entering into God's rest that's being spoke about here in Hebrews chapter 4. And it's unfortunate because the world we live in, they don't fear God the way they should. When Israel was in the wilderness, those who refused to believe weren't allowed to enter the promised land. They all died in unbelief. That's what it said here in these scriptures. They died in unbelief. All they had to do was trust in God, repent. They could enter the promised land. The Jews who refused his son, who mocked him and crucified him, they never entered God's rest, I'm sure of it. Maybe a couple of them, but a lot of them didn't. How would you like to die and stand before God knowing you had your hand in nailing Jesus Christ physically to the cross? Not just spiritually because we're lost and undone and he died for you and I, but that you were actually part of the mess of crucifying him. And then you stood before God, lost and undone. What a place to find yourself. But in all that, God did not forsake Israel. When their backs turned on Jesus, he didn't turn on them. Many Christians believe that God no longer has a plan for the nation of Israel. That's foolishness. The church didn't replace Israel. Listen, I pray for Israel. Every time I pray, I pray for Israel. I pray that they might be saved, that God will continue sending men to preach the gospel, that they might be saved before it's too late. God's not done with Israel, folks. He's never turned his back on Israel. But what God promised Israel, it still stands today. When you look over here in Acts chapter 3, look with me here quickly, Acts chapter 3, we see that God still has a heart for Israel. In Acts chapter 3, we'll just look down at verse 14. Chapter 3 and verse 14, But ye denied the Holy One and the just, 
and desired a murder to be granted unto you, and killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. <clears throat> we'll skip down to verse 25. Read all the rest of that after a bit. Verse 25 says, Ye are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from his iniquities. God's promises are still alive and well today for every person on this planet. There is no one that cannot be saved except they make the choice to remain in their lost condition. That's your choice. But that's not God's desire. God's desire is, I would, that all men everywhere repent. And you know what? Enter into God's rest. That's where the real peace is at. Some of these Jews, they're in danger of talking themselves out of trusting in Jesus Christ because they thought maybe it was too late. Maybe they believed their people had forfeited their opportunity. I don't know. They didn't treat Jesus Christ very well, did they? They had no reason for this kind of thinking, though, because the promise still remained, remained that had been made by God himself. <clears throat> but they did have reason to be afraid. Listen, you ought to be afraid if you're not saved. You ought to live in fear. Now, I know this from personal experience. When I heard the gospel preached, I was just it took me a day or two. I was really stunned. It was like somebody hit me with a stun gun. This can't be. How can this be? How could I be condemned? I'm a good guy. I, I save lives. I'm a great guy. And then I went back and he told me again what a lousy guy I was. You're a dirty, rotten, no good sinner, undone, separated from God. Man, I was just, how could this be happening? And then the fear set in. It took a few days. That was on a Sunday. I went back on a Wednesday. And by Friday, I was terrified to get in the helicopter. I didn't want to get in the helicopter. You know why? Because I knew if that government piece of garbage fell out of the sky, I was going to die and go to hell in my sins. I knew that for a fact. I was terrified. And that Sunday, I went to that preacher and said, hey, I need to be saved. What do I got to do to be saved? There was a panic that had set in. And you know, you don't see a lot of that anymore. Listen, there ought to be a panic about the sinful condition you're in. You ought to be in a panic because God has already condemned you. Go to the book of John chapter 3 and 36 and 18. Read all those verses. You're not going to be condemned, pal. You're already condemned. Why would you want to live in condemnation? Why would you want to live in hell for all of eternity when you can repent, trust in Jesus Christ, and enter into God's rest? You can have that right now, right here. You don't have to wait for some time in the future. You can do it right now. Man, there's some, there's some, there's some really base creatures out there in the world, folks, and God saved them. There was a guy by the name of Mel Trotter. He was a drunk years ago. <clears throat> he didn't keep his family fed, didn't hardly keep him clothed. His little girl got sick, and when she died, the townspeople, knowing he was a drunk and had no money, they took up a collection to buy some new, a new dress and shoes for this little girl to be buried in. They, they did all the embalming. They, they got her all dressed up in her nice little clothes. 
That guy broke into the mortuary that night, took the clothes off that girl and sold them so he could buy booze off his own daughter. Took the clothes off his own dead daughter's body to buy booze. There's some base people out there. And you know what? Later, Mel Trotter was at a revival and he got saved. And he became one of the greater preachers in America. I think he was about the time of Dwight Moody. But he preached. He had a powerful testimony of what God did for him. He went from being that gutter drunk to a guy leading people into eternity. You see, it's never too late to enter into God's rest. That's what he's trying to tell these Hebrews. You can keep this struggle up back and forth, or you can be saved, and you can just give it over right now and enter into my rest. Listen, God will keep his promises. I can't explain to you the rest that I entered into. You, you either know that or you don't. You either get that or you don't get that. There's no really explaining that to you. But there's also this element of God's rest. Lastly here, look in Hebrews chapter 4. Look back here in, in Hebrews chapter 4. And look with me in verse 2. It says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, that they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Listen, God did everything there was from the foundation of the world to you to be saved, for you to be saved and to enter into God's rest. Now, what am I saying here toward the end of this? Because I don't want you to miss this. If you get anything out of this, get this. If you don't have that peace and that rest, there is something missing. I'm just telling you, if you don't experience what the Word of God just said right there, listen, when it's mixed with faith and we believe what God did from the foundation of the world in Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, and you still have no rest and peace, there's something missing in that recipe. What am I saying? I'm saying you may not be saved. You may very well be faithful and religious, but you may not be saved. You may not have ever come to the point of repentance in your life. Listen, hearing the good news of God's rest has no benefit, no profit to any person who does not believe it and who does not act on it. It does you no good. You'll die with a lot of good knowledge. It's tragic that hell is going to be populated with people who say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied your name? Have we not done many good works? Depart from me. I never knew you. Those are four words you never want to hear from God. I never knew you. The flip side of that is we enter into God's rest. And we have peace. We have calm. What a blessing that is. You know, these Jews, they were interesting people because... (laughs) Have you ever had a ticket? You ever got pulled over by a cop? I do all the time. I'm just kidding. Just a few times. Maybe maybe five or six. My wife drives crazy. <clears throat> they come up and they knock on your window and they say, give me your document. Like, okay, here's the document. And then you start explaining to them the law. You start telling the trooper what the law is. Hey, buddy, I'm all about the speeding laws and the traffic laws. And the Well, then you're obviously dumber than a two-headed coonhound because they know the laws. 
People go to God and tell God, I know the law. And God says, yeah, I do too. I, I made it. And I said, <laughs> you're not going to be able to fulfill it. The, the point is, you can't go to the authority and tell the authority what the authority already knows because they wrote the rules. God wrote the rules. Yet mankind has done everything they can to change the rules. And they're still trying to tell God how to do it. When God simply has told us time and time again, repent and trust in Jesus Christ and enter into my rest. <clears throat> it's something that has to be done. It doesn't matter how often you come to church or how often you read your Bible or how often you pray or how much you give or how nice you are. If you do not repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're never going to understand this rest. Now, <clears throat> those who believe enter that rest, and those who don't believe, they don't enter. What he says here is, my rest. Once again, it's not your rest, it's God's rest. And the only time you're going to experience that is when you do it God's way. And you know, God's called us to do a lot of, lot of things for him. There's a lot of things God desires the preachers to do. There's a lot of things God desires his church people to do, lay people to do. And sometimes we can get weary in well-doing. We can. You know why? Because we're doing it in the flesh and we're not doing it in God's rest. God says you can perform all these tasks and all these duties. And as long as you're leaning on me and with me, you'll do it in my rest. That doesn't even calculate right, does it? Because we know we go to work and do things. We're wore out and we get done. God says, I'm not expecting you to get wore out in the work of the Lord. You can do this in my yoke, with my rest, my way. And you can have peace as you do that. Man, the world around us is crumbling all over the place. But one of these days, one of these days, all this craziness is going to be over with. I'm going to step off this earth into my eternal rest. This body's just going to be done. And me... I'm off to the eternal rest. No more worries for that dude. It's over with. Do you know right now, as I serve God, because I'm saved, I can serve in God's rest today. I'll have that eternal rest, but I can enjoy a bit of that right now. And I think too many people and too many Christians, their lives are just torn apart because they just don't get this part of God's rest. And a lot of times that's because there's sin in your life. But just face it, there's some sin in your life that needs to be forsaken. It needs to, listen, you need to get rid of it. You need to repent of that stuff. And a lot of times we don't get the rest we want because we will not submit to God. You're going to do it your way. And sometimes God steps in and says, we're not doing it your way. We're going to do it my way. It's my rest. We're doing it my way. Don't make God have to step in and show you that he can do it his way if he desires to do that. You should get on board and just submit to these things. You know what's not right in your life? Deal with that. When you get down to Hebrews chapter 4 here, just kind of get toward the end. Look down here in verse 9. There remaineth therefore rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. There's a rest you can step into tonight, beloved, and you can still do the work of God and not get so worn out and weary and sidetracked. <clears throat> it was never meant to be that way. We do that. We bring that on ourselves. And sometimes we just need to get before God and say, God, I, I forget that sometimes this is your work and not my work. And I need you to go before me. I need you to plow the way before me. I'm just here as a servant. And stay focused on those things we've talked about this week. 
right? One soul at a time. Don't let this wear you out. You know, I don't know what in your life tonight's keeping you from God's rest. If you're lost, then absolutely I know what it is. But if you're saved and you don't feel this kind of rest, this kind of peace that God says you can have, there's something there between you and God that you've got to deal with. And it must be dealt with or you'll never have that peace. <clears throat> Why is the Lord's work and the Lord's yoke not easy for you? There's got to be a reason. And only you know that reason. And you're going to have to come up here and get right with God to find that out. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we once again just thank you for your word. Lord, what a blessing it is to get in the word of God and see these things you give to us. And sometimes, Lord, we just need a pause in our lives because we get so busy and torn apart in so many directions. And we forget that this is your work, not our work. There's some things you've called us to do, but Lord, we need to have you there with us as we do it. As we reach out to our communities, as we reach out to our lost loved ones, our co-workers, Lord, that we, we'd, we'd have you go before us in prayer first. And, and then, Lord, know that you're with us when we share the gospel with them. You take that fear away from us and give us a spirit of boldness, Lord. We, we just get so tired. We see, we see it among Christianity, and I know that, Lord, it's probably not something talked about in churches, but I know people in churches all over the place taking antidepressants. Why are they so depressed if they have Jesus Christ? There's something going on there. Lord, there's a peace that they've never felt, they've never had. Why is that? What is it that stands between them and you? Lord, is it that they've never truly repented of their sins because they've never seen themselves that wicked? Lord, are they not saved? Are they saved and they've got sin that they're harboring in their hearts, in their lives? I don't know what that might be, Lord. I just pray that there's someone here today that needs that rest. Whether lost or saved, Lord, they can have that rest right now if they'll just come up here and get right with you. Father, we love you. We just praise you and thank you for the things you do in our lives. We just pray you'd strengthen us each and every day to be better servants before you out in this wicked old dark world. We might be a bright spot. We just praise you, Father, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name.